Hi, I'm Dr. Scott. And I'm Dr. Shiloh. And this is LA Not So Confidential, the forensic psychology and true crime podcast. Each week, we explore the intersection of psychology, the criminal justice system, and entertainment. And today, we are revisiting the forensic psych topic of the incel movement. Welcome back, folks. We are just getting so very excited about our upcoming crossover event with our esteemed colleagues at LA Meekly and Holly Weird Paranormal. We're going to be collaborating on a presentation entitled Macabre Mansions and Haunted History at the awesome Heritage Square Museum in South Pasadena on Saturday evening, May 20th, 2023, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. Tickets are available now at eventbrite.com, so please join us for a great evening of discussing LA history, true crime, and the paranormal in a crazy-ass historic setting. It's amazing. Oh, and there's a ghost tour available as well. Yay. I can't wait. It's finally May. It's happening. Yes. <laughs> I'm nervous and terrified I and know, excited all at once. <laughs> but we cannot forget CrimeCon UK. Oh, of course not. Thank you so much for that reminder. As we move closer and closer to our trip to London, England, not to be confused with London, Arkansas. You're not <laughs> fooling me again with that one, Arkansas, but rather CrimeCon United Kingdom on June 10th and 11th, 2023 at the Tower Bridge Leonardo Royal Hotel and Spa. We'll be presenting on the latest research of the incel movement that we're covering in depth with you today. Yes, but it will be different enough. So if you happen to be going and you happen to listen to this episode, it's okay. Don't worry. Yes. You can do both. <laughs> you get to see me running around stage like a madman. Like, well, there's that. Jumping around. Like, I mean, that's worth the ticket price alone. <laughs> okay. Now you got to hold on to that. <laughs> Promise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, actually, we have a nice interpretive dance planned <laughs> about the incel movement. <laughs> It's like dance your dissertation, only it's called dance your oh, podcast. Yes. Oh my gosh. Spinoff podcast. Yeah. Spinoff YouTube channel, dance your dissertation. <laughs> yeah. But hey, before we get started today, just to remind you, our last episode, number 137, was a documentary review on the Netflix docuseries Worst Roommate Ever. The series explored terrible situations involving landlords and roommates who murder for a variety of reasons. From sweet old grannies to serial squatters, these stories are truly terrifying and there are several lessons to be learned for sure. Although not a favorite of ours, but worth watching if there's absolutely nothing else on. <laughs> or just listen to us talk about it <laughs> yeah i mean like there are a couple of stories that were mildly gripping but overall i think that we agreed that the production could have been a lot better and the title is somewhat misleading right yeah, yeah. absolutely but look for this month then because we have so much coming up and so much to prepare for so much research just never ending research. never ending never. we're gonna kind of mix things up a little bit we just want to give you like a lay of the land of what to expect. So today's episode, Incels Revisited, is going to be split into two. So you'll get part one this week, you'll get part two next week, and then we will push back the vintage episode and the docuseries back to back for the third and fourth weeks of May. There is a fifth week of May that falls on Memorial Day week, at least here in the States. So we'll probably be releasing a bonus episode because, I mean, I'm taking off June 2nd to the UK for a while. So we really need to not fly by the seat of our pants like we usually do and yeah, us exactly. a little bit. So with that, let's jump into it. So today we find ourselves revisiting yet another topic that has grown in data, the incel movement. Way back on our 13th episode, I mean, way back in November yes. of 2018, we focused on incel, which seems like 
forever ago. And interestingly, in research years, it actually is a substantial amount of time because back in 2018, there was no data aside from a few case studies of targeted violence incidents and some survey information from the incels.co web forums collected by the then moderator. Right. So you basically had sort of like some documented observation after the fact and then self-report heavy air quotes data and It seems like there was very little context at the time, I think, to generate a frame for what and how limited that data was. So it was like, that's how we start, but we need to move along when we're talking about research. But I'm glad you said that because that's really a perfect example of how research starts. Like here's something going on. Oh shit. We have to figure out what's happening. Like what, what's, what are the nexus points? Where are the connections? And, you know, because post facto observation and self-report data is generally how research usually starts. Once a phenomenon is discovered or begins to emerge, we don't have nice, neat, randomized control studies right off the bat. However, the research is not by any means comprehensive or super groundbreaking, but it's a start and there's plenty to sift through from that time and then lay a foundation for what we now know today. Yes. And you and I have kept up and started to implement some of the new research as it comes out when we cover this in our live presentations at conferences and such. And it's, I think it's pretty exciting to look back on this, to think episode 13 is when we talked about this, that we get to take our listeners on this journey from the infancy of research on a topic. Yeah, I like that. So trigger warning, some of this material is difficult to hear for many reasons. You know, we know how wildly vile the language can be from a specific subgroup within this community. And Dr. Shiloh and I have not included any gory details just for the sake of doing so. And we'll describe language and violence as clinically as possible while still giving you an impactful idea of the incident and the concept. And while we never want to be demanding on your time, you may want to go back and re-listen to our previous episode from 2018 to get a solid foundation in what data was available at the time. Right. I think it's also important to note that when the media talks about mass shooters and mass attacks, they are steering away from showing pictures of the offenders as to not to glorify and perpetuate any copycats or contagion effect or those just seeking notoriety for violence. And so in that vein, we will not be naming any perpetrators of attacks today. Some of our case studies today and then in the next episode will also include attacks with fire arms and knives. So just a trigger warning for that as well. So going back to some basics, the term incels is a combination of involuntary celibates, and it refers to individuals, overwhelmingly male, who struggle to form romantic relationships. And in-depth studies have found that the incel culture can include members who are significantly misogynistic and actively promote violence. In fact, several violent incidents have been linked to this community now with a strong implication that this movement may well resemble other extremist groups. And that's what we're going to be looking at today. Yes. And the most extreme members of the incel community assert a belief that is termed the market, which refers to the belief that relationships are transactional and that men are entitled to sex in exchange for their efforts at attempting connection, or in some cases, just by virtue of being men. Hmm. Yeah. I know. Women are often viewed as commodities to be won or lost rather than individuals with their own agency, their own emotional and intellectual life. And this belief is closely tied to the idea that women are naturally evil, which is another normative order in the extreme ends of the incel community. So this particular belief 
is often used to then justify the mistreatment and the marginalization of women into objects and to absolve all men of the responsibility of their own actions. So another normative order within the extreme ends of this community is what we call legitimizing masculinity. And this belief really kind of centers around the idea that guys have to prove their masculinity through sexual conquests and dominance over women. That's the only, that's the main marker. That's yeah. all that really counts is sexual conquest and dominance over women. And then that then further leads to more objectification and dehumanization of women. So it's not just objectifying. If you get into the material and the more vile of the postings, you really see many examples of women being reduced to just their genitals. It's Mm -hmm. pretty sad. Yeah, because the more you dehumanize something, the more you can just see it as these objects and conquests and things. So And more deserving or less deserving of any kind of compassion or empathy. Right, right. right. Male oppression is another normative order in the incel community. The belief centers around the idea that men are oppressed by society and that women hold all of the power. This belief is often used to justify violence against women and to promote a sense of victimhood among men. And we'll actually see this with a very long ago case study that we're going to look at probably in in next week's episode. Yes. And again, as always, we are pulling from the most recent research, all of which is going to be made available to you on our show notes. There are some points that we'll be pulling today that are direct quotes. So please, if you are interested in this subject, read these articles, read these journal articles, because they're really, really valuable sources of information. But finally, another normative factor within the incel community, the extreme ends of the incel community is violence. And while violence, I think on the surface, we tend to always think of violence as an actual physical act. Violence is not always a physical act. It can become a physical act after fermenting for a long time within an echo chamber. So what happens within the more extreme ends of this community's online life is that violence becomes an acceptable means of achieving an individual's goals, particularly within the pursuit of relationships and sex. Yes. So let's get into the research. And today really is going to be pretty research heavy because that's the idea of giving you this update. And so I want to go back and look at what was available initially and probably even covered this in our episode 13. So as we mentioned in the intro, the first quote unquote data that came out about incels was from a forum, a self-report survey that was conducted by incels.is, which is formerly incels.co. And although self-report, you know, this was helpful. We can surmise it was probably decently transparent. You know, this was on a forum where they were familiar with the goings-on, the moderator, and probably willing to answer some questions. So there's some built-in trust there. Self-report is always tricky because it's like, well, you know, how much does the person really disclosing whether you're surveying college students or, you know, a particular group like this, but there, if there's anonymity behind it, you know, you can trust at least that it's going to fall within the normal range of sort of the normal statistical errors we expect to see in research. So the information that it gave us, and I want to say, I think Nama had given us some, some of these numbers probably twice. I think I asked her for update at one point. I'm just going to say this is probably from around 2018. Yeah, 2018. So what we had was with the respondents who answered and it was 
over 500 respondents. 80% of them were from the U.S. and Europe. 50% of them were between the ages of 15 and 25 years old. 70% were living with their parents. We also saw a majority, 60% were either working, they were holding down jobs, or they were in school, which makes sense because they're kind of that school college age. And again, 60% identified as being in the middle class. So just a little breakdown of demographics there. And, you know, as we even push farther into this data, we're going to be talking a little bit now, just very briefly about the survey results regarding romantic relationships and behaviors within this community. And I want to share this data and just assure all of our listeners that we mean absolutely no shaming by this, because some of it would be used within toxic masculine cultures to to be derisive. But 65% of the respondents had never kissed someone. 78% of respondents had never had sex and 85% had never had a romantic relationship. Yeah. So you're seeing as sort of the, the ideas of closeness get higher and higher, then you have less people in this population participating in that. Yeah. Which I think is pretty significant, especially from data that was collected so early on. Yeah. True. And we also got a little bit of information about mental health. So the moderator, again, these questions were just posed by a moderator. It was just a survey. This wasn't like a mental health professional asking these questions in a way that, you know, maybe if this was like an academically backed study, but I still think it was some information that at least off the top, when we're trying to understand what's going on here was important to look at. So 60% of the respondents admitted to quote, suffering from depression on a regular basis. And then we had nearly three fourths of the population that said they were quote, not optimistic about their future. So that's important when we look at the idea of suicidal ideation is this idea of hopelessness about the future, but also in the context of incel ideology, you know, this speaks to kind of, mm, is someone leaning more towards black pill were just completely nihilistic. They don't think things will ever get better because of the type of schemas that they have that fall in line with the way that incels are thinking about the world. Also 68% had seriously considered suicide in the past. And then over a quarter, again, this is kind of taking a, a hard right from depression and suicide, but over a quarter of them said that they quote, suffered from autism. So we don't know what that means. Is that self-diagnosed? Is that some traits? Is that some folks who had actually been formally diagnosed? We don't know. But when you compare, just if we were going to look at this and take it for granted, 25% of this population is saying that that's much, much higher than the prevalency in the general population for autism spectrum disorder diagnoses. Yeah, I am particularly struck by that 74% that were not optimistic about their future and that being dovetailed right against 68% have seriously considered suicide because not optimistic about your future to me has very much a strong overlap or intersection with lack of future orientation. If you don't feel optimistic about your future, you don't necessarily make plans for your future. If you don't make plans for your future, that impacts your entire value system about quality of life which then can aggravate suicidal ideation. Very, very important points. So the next step in evolution of research in this area was data collection from self-identified incels online behavior. Basically, research that didn't involve surveying or comparing incels, but just analyzing 
what was there for the taking, which in today's world of technology, scraping data like that <laughs> so is, much. it's unbelievable what is found. It's all, it's actually quite frightening what can be found. There were many studies that use language from incel posts and publications on forums like Reddit and YouTube to tap into behavior and thinking patterns, as well as bigger concepts like global misogyny. One study looked specifically at hate speech and incel posts in which the authors found that fear was the most used emotion word with anger coming in second. Mistrust was also prominent in reference to women. So it's so detailed that they're like, hey, we just want to look at the most used emotion words. <laughs> and you can go in and collect all of this info and break it down like that. I mean, this is really where the research started to go. And there's there's a ton of studies like this because it's easy, right? I mean, I, I don't mean that in a way to put down this research, but no. it's easy to just, like you said, scrape some of this language that's publicly available and start crunching the numbers, breaking it down. Yeah, I would say that like it just it has fewer barriers to gathering information, right? Right. right. I think you're making more leaps as you kind of determine what that all means. Yeah, yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. A more recent article in 2023 by Sarah Daly examined specifically what incels think about their own community's behavior of shitposting. And it was all over the place. Yeah. Point two. This is another reason why people might want to go back and listen to our first <laughs> one, because there are so many terms that we're using sort of as common language. But shitposting yeah. is the action of creating vitriolic language online regarding an intended tar an intended target or even oneself because self-deprecation and self-loathing is a very big recurring theme within the incel community. So shit posting becomes almost this competitive activity to see who can come up with the most vitriolic, the most dehumanizing, the most depressing, the most angry posts. Yeah, yeah, the most like shocking type of yeah. language you can use. So what she was doing, she was asking incels what do they think about about that behavior. So like I said, it was sort of all over the place. Some thought like, oh, this is just joking. Like this is just what we do. Others thought, hey, this might be a reflection of deeper emotions. And then there are a bunch of other opinions like, hey, this is just what people do for attention on these forums. Or actually it's not even that frequent. We think that the media and researchers are kind of blowing this out of proportion. So nothing again, like super groundbreaking. I think it's important to the field of study. But again, you're getting sort of an idea of what I always come away with every time you and I review new research, see an article, see someone talking about inceldom, and especially when it's being related to violence, is that there's such a wide variety of folks on these forums, yes. but also where they're at with like, how much are they in on the ideology? And some of that research coming up here just shortly, we'll talk about that. Yeah, but you also, I think we talked about this before in previous episodes, we have several listeners who have reached out to us yeah, yeah. and in wonderful, wonderful, compassionate and willing to communicate presentation to say, hey, look, I consider myself to be part of this community, but I do not support any of these extremist beliefs. I do not think this about women. I do not think this about relationships. I just feel that by default, I'm part of this community because of A, B, and C. Yeah. So I th thank you for bringing that up, that we're talking about a specific subset of this population and of this movement that is particularly problematic. Yes. So she also analyzed 80 suicidal 
note-themed posts from a subreddit using a thematic analysis and determined that for those who wrote their goodbyes or talked about suicidal ideation, she saw a few things, a few themes emerged. They often posted about the actual means of completing suicide, as well as, you know, some prior attempts to better themselves and, and talked about what they tried to do to connect with people or to change their looks in order to try and connect with people. Lots of ways that they, in their perception of what was bettering themselves. So they talked about that in, in a way to say, this is how I'm arriving at my decision to die by suicide. And they also expressed appreciation for the incel community and how that had been a source of support for them for a while. And then she saw that a few actually did talk about how their death would impact other people, like their family members and what they would think afterwards. So interesting work. And again, this is just from sort of data mining subreddit posts, but still it gives you a view of suicidal ideation that, yeah. you know, some, maybe we couldn't capture in other ways. So then we start to see some academic research starting to form. And as we share this research, we want to give a major shout out to one of our colleagues and our very good friend, Nama Cates, who herself is a media creator and she's produced and broadcast the impressive podcast Incel. And I think that it goes without saying that Nama's ability to connect with the Incel community and create an alliance of discussion has contributed greatly to the study of this movement. So what started out as a collaborative creative process for NAMA has now resulted in a very impressive collaborative study between the Incel podcast herself and Parallel Networks, a U.S.-based nonprofit organization that claims it is dedicated to combating polarization, extremism, hate, and another researcher from Georgia State University. The researchers are further able to drill down into the foundational factors that are integral to the movement. And the paper entitled Predictors of Radical Intentions Among Incels, a survey of 54 self-identified incels, was able to use self-report data that was much more highly structured into the necessary format for a true academic study. So first and foremost, the mental health findings that emerged from this study revealed significant mental health challenges within the community, with 91% of participants reporting significant and chronic levels of depression, 85% of participants reporting significant levels of anxiety and 40% of participants experiencing symptoms that we as clinicians would say are congruent with diagnoses of PTSD or related disorders. Now, aside, I, I, I know. It's just like the first time we've seen that really kind of pop up is PTSD. It, exactly. And it's just... You know, what's interesting to me is that it's more profound. You know, we now have a more three-dimensional picture, but the numbers are really still comparative to what yeah. they had, you know, six years ago, yes. which is it's kind of amazing. Because sometimes you would think, oh, as we're going to get more structured, the numbers are going to be wildly different. It's like, oh no, those numbers are still sticking. But aside from the more static states of emotional health systems, the study also found that a significant amount of individuals with autism spectrum disorder, which by the way, is not a mental health diagnosis, but rather ASD is a neurodevelopmental condition that's typically diagnosed during childhood. So just for everybody listening out there, ASD or autism spectrum disorder was previously known just generically as autism. And many individuals will still use this term interchangeably with ASD. Now, just a quick note, ASD can significantly impact the individual's ability to engage, 
communicate and interact with others. And this can manifest or emerge in a variety of different ways, like challenges or difficulty with social cues, repetitive behaviors, and then also pretty significant challenges with verbal and nonverbal communication. And it also has been noted that some of the symptoms can minimize or remit over time, but the significance of the challenges in interpersonal relationships and recognizing those social cues are super important in this discussion. So in that study, 53% of participants reported being diagnosed with ASD. What was the number before? So that's pretty close to what the number was 40% before, right? Hang on, hang on, let me check. And, but now we're, the difference is we're seeing the word diagnose in there. Right. Whereas before it was like suffered with. So it, it was only a quarter on the incel.co. Okay, so now it's gotten more, it's expanded and the number has gone up. And of high concern, 91% of the participants reported a history of being bullied. Fascinating. So we're looking at a high incidence of individuals with probably impairment in reading social cues, social interaction, social engagement, who also are having a history of being bullied. So all of this information tracks with a previous study with over 200 incels that were surveyed that had similar results with anxiety and depression, although anxiety was a bit higher in this first research. So this indicated 95% of depression and 93% with anxiety. Yeah, those are starting to definitely emerge at the top of all of this pretty robustly. So what Nama and her partners did after we got all of that great data is that they then applied the incel radicalization scale to the sample. And that scale is exactly what it sounds like. It's a new measure of radicalization specific to the incel community. So they wanted to measure the relationship between incel ideology, beliefs about incels as a group and their role in the world, and radicalization support, direct support for violent and or illegal action to sort of further this ideology. Super interesting. So more generally, given the publicity received by the notorious incel identified mass attack perpetrators, they really wanted to explore a potential mismatch between the mass public's widespread beliefs about incels and incels own views of themselves as a group. Here's what they found. So they found first that radicalization was not correlated with incel ideological commitment. They also found that most of the incels that were surveyed rejected violent and illegal intentions as a course of action and did actually not admire incels for their violent actions. So, you know, we always hear like, oh, the glorification and how they're holding these folks up that have perpetrated this. Again, that's going to be a small subset of it's this already small, small subset. Yes, but they are they are getting the most attention because they're crowing the loudest because they're shit posting, right? There, there we go. Yes, exactly. Only seventeen percent of the respondents scored above the midpoint on incel radicalization, demonstrating that they were in that like higher radicalization bracket, which was, you know, I think this really busted. Again, some myths and perceptions about incels that they're all radicalized. They all are, you know, 1000% in on violence for furthering their message. I want to point this out because we're going to talk about radicalization in another study next week that sort of looks like they're defining radicalization different. So that's why I wanted to like drill home that in Nama's study here, they're talking about this is direct support for violence. Not that they're acting out themselves, but they're like, oh, hell yeah, this is how we should be 
you know, letting the world know about our message. Wow. So now comes along William Costello, and he is a student in London, and he had started writing some opinion pieces while he was applying to graduate programs in evolutionary psych. Fascinating. I love that there's a, a whole nother branch. Oh, yeah. Of psychology that's evolutionary. And the title of one of his papers was Step Your Dick Up, Why Incels Deserve Better Advice. I love it. It's so cheeky. <laughs> yeah. So then he started studying incels on an academic level and completed his published master's thesis in 2022, which was the first bit of research comparing a sample of incels to finally a sample of similarly to a sample of similarly aged men. Boom. Finally, this is a comparative group study. This is where we really start getting Yay. into statistically valid comparisons. So the title, Levels of Well-Being Among Men Who Are Incel, was published in 2022. And it compared 151 incels to 300 plus, or so 300 and some change, non-incel men across a range of measures that were related to mental well-being. So Costello did something that was very important here in his research. He was not only looking at individuals who are self-identified incels, but also in comparing them to men who did not identify as incels. This is going to make for much more robust research. He examined the role of sociosexuality and the tendency for interpersonal victimhood to be potential moderators of incel status and the links with mental health. So sociosexuality or sociosexual orientation is the variation in an individual's willingness to engage in sexual activity, but outside of a committed relationship. So, so sociosexuality is a continuum and many individuals can fall anywhere along the spectrum between what is called restricted or classified as unrestricted. So this variation in sociosexual orientation is influenced by a bunch of different factors including cultural norms, personal values, individual experiences. So what Costello found was that first and foremost, incels were found to have a greater tendency for perceiving and asserting a quote, interpersonal victimhood. And then they also had higher levels of depression, anxiety, and loneliness. Mm. And lower levels of life satisfaction. So again, that's all compared to men who do not identify as incel. So again, we're seeing the depression, we're seeing the anxiety, we're hitting home on loneliness, but also sort of this, this victim stance, victimhood idea about themselves. And then he also found that incels also scored higher on levels of sociosexual desire but this did not appear to have an interaction between incel status and their mental well-being. There's, <laughs> I'm like, am I even going to be able to explain this correctly? There's ways that you can kind of look at different variables when you are gathering data on a certain population, and then you can see how those variables intersect. Right. And through those calculations, you can determine, oh, does this kind of impact or influence the other variable? But that's not so in this one. So they have these high levels, again, of sociosexual desire, like they are desiring to be in these sexual dating relationships and have a variety of experiences. And, and that was much higher compared to the guys that are probably already doing that. So they don't right. have that desire. But there was no correlation between the fact that it was them identifying as incel or mental well-being. It was just split up into those categories, but they weren't self-identifying that way. So Costello, after doing this research, he suggests that incels, basically we should be looking at them as this newly identified at-risk group to Good. start figuring out how to target 
for mental health interventions. And of course, since it's his field of study, he opined that these interventions could possibly be informed by evolutionary psychology and that, you know, that might be a route we want to start taking as we shape as clinicians. If these folks come across our radar, whether they're self-referring to treatment or say they're getting in trouble and are mandated to some sort of treatment that we start figuring out how the heck do we create a treatment plan for them. So he also has another paper out. It's called The Mating Psychology of Incels, where he and his co-authors also compared incels to a non-incel group. And they asked questions about their self-perceived mate value, as well as partner preferences and their views on what women want in a partner. And they found that incels have a lower self-perceived mate value and lower mate standards. Hmm. Yeah, they also found that incels overestimate the importance of good looks and status when they're talking about women and underestimate the importance of kindness and emotional stability. I think we're actually getting a deeper look at what incels really do think when they're looking okay. at relationships. And there's something there. Yeah. And there's something there that completely I'm flummoxed by because the idea of finding that they also have lower mate standards also yeah. seems to run in direct conflict with like the, the ongoing narrative of going for Stacy, right? Well, I mean, I think that they feel they can't go for Stacy, so they would have to lower their standards. I think they think the rest of the world probably has high standards and is sort of working in this uh, hypergamous sort of network and interaction that they're not privy to necessarily. But I think what I got out of this is that, yeah, they're overestimating, hey, good looks and status yes. is really important. And I don't really care about how kind she is or how emotionally stable she is. So, I mean, this is interesting to look at this. And, you know, even the authors note that there's kind of these errors and differences that they're seeing in these, right. what they're calling cross-sex mind reading is not something that's necessarily unique to incels, right? We all think we can <laughs> like mind read our partners or potential partners. <laughs> I, yeah, I've like, I've spent 30 years in therapy <laughs> trying to undo the belief that I can read other people's minds and intentions. Right. But they are taking away from this. One of their, their takeaways is that this, trying to mind read of the opposite sex is certainly exaggerated compared to non-incels. So, so yeah, it's just, again, like we're in the infancy of all of this. So well, we hopefully need... we'll be able to reach out to Costello and maybe he'll come meet us. Well, in may, Crime, yeah, maybe UK, CrimeCon <laughs> UK, and we can ask him because I do find that to be fascinating that they underestimate the importance of kindness and emotional stability. Mm -hmm. So I want to get more information. Does that mean in themselves or in their potential partners or or just as a concept within a relationship? Sure, right? sure. Because it yeah. could be any of those things, but that could have radically different impact or it could have radically different meaning when you place it against sort sure. of the rubric of the number of people that identify as being on the spectrum. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. Throw that, throw that circle in the Venn. Yeah. In there. <laughs> so an even more recent study from February of 2023 honed in on the issues of isolation and loneliness. That's a 
huge neon sign yep. right there, that loneliness and isolation. The author proposed that the term involuntary celibate has likely resulted in an overemphasis on their sexual exclusion and frustration. And that's a quote, an overemphasis on their sexual exclusion and frustration. And he compared 67 incels to 103 non-incels in terms of their social support networks and loneliness and found that incels experience significantly more feelings of loneliness and have much less social support than non-incel men. I mean, it sounds pretty obvious, but that's really important to get down as a foundational yes. aspect of this. So both of these variables were found to be associated with multiple mental and relational health issues that incels also scored more highly on. And I'm just going to go on and say that even if an individual does not identify as an incel, having less social support, intense feelings of loneliness, lack of a feeling of community are absolutely associated in the general population with more mental health issues than not. Absolutely. Incels reported using more solitary and problematic coping mechanisms. And he believes that this may mean that incels may be a contributor to the way that they interpret adverse effects and romantic rejection. They're just again, they're just nailing it down. Yeah. Things that we were kind of assuming. This just is an illustration of getting caught in that echo chamber. Yes. Where you're that's... just spinning, spinning around and going down the drain. And that's I think that a lot of the I, I think a lot of them are probably aware that they're doing it, but it's familiar. It's the the what we call in clinical work the horrible familiar. Mm -hmm. This is awful. It doesn't make me feel any better. But it's the only connection that I think I have. Yep, absolutely. So when looking at the mental health concerns a little bit more with incels, the research breaks down to a few overall findings. And I think this is going to also summarize nicely what we've talked about here today. And there's an article from 2022. It's called Involuntary Celibacy, a review of incel ideology and experiences with dating, rejection, and associated mental health and emotional sequelae sums it up best. They stole your word, sequelae. That's why I had to put the title in there. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So they sum it up best by saying that essentially it's safe to say from the studies that have touched on all of these areas that incels suffer from high levels of romantic rejection and have a greater degree of depressive and anxious symptoms, as well as insecure attachment, fear of being single and loneliness when we compare them to non-incels. So think of this as like sort of a, a meta-analysis of what is all there already. And they also found that incels are also self-reporting significant issues related two areas of their mental, social, and relational well-being. And they're coping with this by seeking support from forums that unfortunately often feature misogynistic and violent banter. So remember previously you were just saying they are not using the best coping mechanisms for these issues. The forums are one of those coping mechanisms. One of the authors on this paper is Dr. Brandon Sparks. He's a forensic psychologist who is also doing quite a bit of work on incels and he's a lecturer at Kingston University. I'm going to link his website in the show notes. I did reach out to him on Twitter and I was like, hey, we're going to use your research in our upcoming episode and probably at our presentation in CrimeCon and you should join us for a pint. So we need to hit up Costello as well. <laughs> I don't know where they're at in London. I'm from California. 
I don't know how long it takes to get from point A to point B, but and, and we, but we do recognize it's very large. I would, London is very large, so please excuse our our Yankee ignorance. Or like just England in general yeah. is pretty big, so I we get it if you can't just pop over because I wouldn't even want to drive to the west side of LA to meet somebody <laughs> for a drink. God, it's so true. It's just so true. Oh, I'd have to like take the two ten to the one thirty four to the five. Why'd you do that? You could have. Taking the 134 to the 210, slam right into Griffith Park. Oh my God. That's our, that's our LA soap opera right there. <laughs> so this review that Dr. Sparks did included another one of his actual original studies where he examined dating app experiences of incels. And that's how a lot of these aforementioned feelings were expressed with, again, talking about the the fear of rejection, fear of loneliness, depression, anxiety, all of that stuff. So again, like we're going to have every single reference in the show notes. So if you want to look at these a little bit more deeply, they're there for the taking. So we want to give you a case study of a more recent event and one that doesn't take place in the US. So on August 12th, 2021, media in England exploded when information came in that a young man in the area of Plymouth shot and killed six individuals including himself. This event was very shocking for a number of reasons. It was the first deadly mass shooting in the UK in over a decade, and that the act was carried out by an individual who was an owner of a legally obtained firearm, which may be common here in the US. It's clearly, because I'm sure the way in the world talks about our crazy gun rights here, but it's not so common in a country with very, very strict gun control regulations. And further, the killer first shot his mother at home before then taking to the streets and randomly shooting at people, including a six-year-old girl. And then to top all of it off, a bunch of media attention circulated around the fact that the shooter had proclaimed himself a member of the incel community. Yeah, just with that first little snapshot of this incident, I think we're seeing a lot of what you and I have already talked about, especially in our mass shooter, school shooting, other mass attacks episodes where, you know, there's there's usually this act where they kill someone first that is not part of the the mass attack, right? So in this case, again, we're seeing... He kills his mom, which is similar to some that we've seen here. And really, we've sort of heard that opined as being the act that might be triggering, but also the one that they know that once they do that, it's kind of like hitting send when they like post a manifesto, right? They have to follow through with the rest of it. And it's, it's almost like pulling the trigger to see if they can do it. And once they do, they're off and running with the rest of their plan. So we're seeing that echoed here. In this case, when searching the home that the shooter shared with his 51-year-old mother, police discovered almost 400 buffalo cartridges used for hunting large animals, which he used during the horrifically long eight-minute attack. Later, collateral information gathered then revealed that he was fascinated with guns since he was a child. And in 2016, his mother had actually raised concerns about her son's obsessions with firearms. And then staff from a career guidance center that he was utilizing, they were so concerned about him that they informally passed on information to a representative from the government's counterterrorism prevent program 
However, at that time, the official did not feel that it met the criteria for a formal referral. So this is getting into that area of threat assessment where people are seeing something and they're saying something. And to be honest, that's the sort of thing that is, and bear with me, folks, when I use this term, it's very exciting to do this kind of work. And that's not to minimize the potential danger because it it is, it's something that you pop up and you're immediately going, okay, what have we got here? Mm -hmm. What have we got here? What's legitimate? What's not legitimate? But the other side of it is how frustrating and terrifying it can be because you're always thinking, did we do enough? Did we do enough? Did we do enough? What more can we do that does not impinge on the rights of the individual? So it's, Hindsight is twenty twenty, but yeah. boy, I would not want to be in the place. I wouldn't be, want to be in the chair of that official that didn't feel like it met criteria for a formal referral. But that's rough, you know. It I, is. I can understand where he is. So the court at that time, in review of all this information, found that in the time leading up to attack, over a series of months, the shooter who was employed as an apprentice crane operator had made a long series of very disturbing posts on social media and undertook really concerning online searches for problematic subjects. It was found that the 22-year-old searched an online thread that questioned why incels felt compelled to end their own lives. And then in April 2021, he went on to post a video on social media about an assault that he had carried out because someone had derisively called him fat, which, you know, he felt hurt his ego. He went on to assert that incels were more prone to killing themselves or going on a killing spree. And he expressed views that he had missed out on a number of life events, including relationships, and described himself, and using his quotes, a virgin, ellipsis, fat, ugly. And then at another point, he said, quote, I like to think sometimes I'm the Terminator or something, close quote. And then in July, it was found that he had researched the 1987 Hungerford mass shootings in Berkshire. And that was an event where 16 people were killed. Then three days before the killings that he perpetrated, his online search profile revealed that he was looking for information about U.S. serial killer Ted Bundy. Kind of all over the place, huh? Yeah, yeah. But problematic, all of it problematic. Super problematic. And I guess, you know, again, this is just going back and looking at his search history after the fact. So Dominic Adamson Casey, who represented three of the families who lost loved ones in the tragic shooting, expressed his shock and dismay at the disturbing nature of the perpetrator's internet searches. He described them as remarkable and deeply disturbing, indicating that the shooter had extreme views and was not, quote, living in the real world. And then Rachel Bentley was the senior investigating officer in the case. So they they always do a court inquest, even though he's deceased, right? Because he had taken his own life. There's still a court inquest that happens right. in the UK. She stated that there was no evidence to suggest the shooter had planned a manifesto. I mean, mildly interesting, right? Okay. Not that she's defending him. I'm not saying that, but not everybody has a manifesto. I think it's another sort of trope that we think about. Right. Nor that his internet searches were necessarily the inspiration for his actions, which again, like you and I probably have really crazy internet searches at times. (laughs) And it's, it's looking at like, oh, does this mean it's like causing him to act out violently? However, video recreation of the incident revealed that most of the shooter shots were fired at close range. So I think they were trying to piece together. Did he take this from previous incidents? You know, he talked about being the Terminator, which that's just gives me the heebie-jeebies because you think of like a shotgun and 
you know, scenes in movies where there's pumping rounds into it and yeah. shooting people. I think this is really interesting. I'm glad you pulled this particular bit because it illustrates to me that we need to let go of this trope of importance regarding a manifesto, right? Yeah, yeah, Because so. all of this can happen without, I mean, everybody's like, oh, it's a manifesto, it's a manifesto. Well, certainly that's going to be an indicator, but don't discount someone who's made yeah. every other factor in this apparent, but mm -hmm. doesn't have their manifesto. Or like we're seeing recently with incidents here in the United States is like the public demanding or politicians demanding, we want to see the manifesto as if they have some sort of expertise that is going to be gleaned from, you know, their interpretation of somebody's writings. There's nothing more frustrating for me than somebody and people, I have colleagues, I have friends, I have peers, a handful of people that have read Kaczynski's manifesto and said, mm -hmm. you know, we have some good points. And I was like, well, that's not the point. Right. <laughs> yes. yes. He may have some points that may resonate with all of us as members of a functioning society, but that's not the point here. Yeah. And, and I get it. Like it, it's the inner workings of someone's brain that we don't understand. Right. Right. thrown up on a piece of paper usually, yes. right? So much, there's so much to sift through. But again, I think there's sort of those, I don't even know what to call it. Like it just fits in the trope of a mass attacker to the point where we almost feel like we demand that we, there should be one or that we see it. And yeah. we try to make some determination from that. So with that, they, so in this case, they had done this sort of video recreation of the incident happening, which they do in a lot of different crime demonstrations for juries and things like that. But the jury also saw footage of him walking along the street with the shotgun before he took his own life. So like CCTV footage where they were kind of piecing this all together. Aside from his mother, the victims included Lee Martin, age 43, and Martin's young daughter, Sophie, as they were out for a walk with their family dog. The shooter also then aimed at another dog walker named Stephen Washington, then age 59, while they were at a park, as well as Kate Shepard, age 66, who was just coming home from shopping. And the details of this case are really heartbreaking. And I mean, my thoughts go out to the survivors and the families of the loved ones of the victims. I, it's just a reminder of these dangers of extremist views and the importance of monitoring and addressing concerning behavior before it escalates to these unbelievably tragic levels. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think what we're going to do is give you that to soak up for today. It's a lot. We know it's dense. We have some more dense material for you for next week. But again, what, we're, what we want to do is have you thinking critically like we are. Yeah. How do some of these, and I hate to use the term, like classic cases that maybe are ones that we covered in our original episode, how are they starting to fit in with what we're getting now with the research, as well as some of these cases that are evolving and that we're seeing now that fit into the incel ideology? I think in one of Nama's recent episodes and conversations with someone, she was saying, you know, it, it really depends who you ask, like how many- yes violent mass attacks have been perpetrated by people who identify as incel or who have been identified as incel after the fact, which again, is it just another variable? Like who do we have enough to make, even make that judgment? And she says like, it varies. It's, it can be as few as really four true ones up to over a dozen or so. So again, hold those lightly when, when we're making determinations about really minuscule amounts of 
people who are perpetrating this. The flip side to that is that, you know, as with mass shooters, the kill count is really high. And that's why, and and it's just horrific for so many reasons that I don't need to list, you know, especially when they're targeting very vulnerable populations. But when you break down numbers, you know, it's really, really small. And that means it's the really extreme versions of some of these people who are falling into these ways of thinking. Absolutely. So we'll wrap it up there and we will see you next time or you'll hear us next time. Remember, if you haven't had a chance, go back, listen to our episode from 2018 to get all the definitions of the terms that we're just kind of throwing off. And we'll come back with another case study and more research for you next week. We'll see you then on LA. Not so. Confidential. Thanks, guys. Bye. We sincerely thank you for spending some time with us today. LA Not So Confidential is part of the Crawl Space Media Network in partnership with Glassbox Media. Each episode is hosted, produced, and written by Dr. Scott and Dr. Shiloh. Our post-production editing and sweetening magic is handled by the multi-talented Jason Usri of Ear Cult Productions. The LA Not So Confidential theme entitled Cool Vibes Film Noir is composed and performed by the talented Kevin McLeod. He graciously allows us to use his music via a Creative Commons attribution license. And you can check out all of Kevin's amazing work on YouTube. All of the resources for each episode can be found on our website at la-not-so-confidential.com. You can find us on Instagram at LA Not So Podcast, on Twitter at LA Not So Pod, and on Facebook at LA Not So Confidential. Media inquiries and bookings are scheduled at alienistentertainment at gmail.com. Please join us each month on Saturdays at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for a live streaming and very interactive broadcast on YouTube entitled Behind the Couch. Stay tuned to all of our social media for our live streaming scheduling announcements. Subscribe to LA Not So Confidential so you never miss a new episode. And lastly, we'd be honored if you joined our Patreon at patreon.com slash LA Not So Podcast. With a subscription, you get an ad-free listening experience, and you'll be the first notified about upcoming live events, social gatherings, and super cool swag coming your way. Thanks for listening and join in with us next time on LA Not So Confidential. Bye, folks.